It's that time of week again. It's API Storytelling Hour on Fridays, my favorite day of the week. Let me get the gang in here. I'm going to start with Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you, Ken. Yeah, good to see you as well. Enjoying the week. Looking forward to it again as usual, but uh, happy to be here with you today. Absolutely. So let's get Aiden in here. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to see you. I thought we were going to do this uh, this Thursday dinner every week, Ken. I was surprised that it didn't happen again yesterday. <laughs> Man, I'm so for that. When are you going to move to the Bay Area? I would, there you go. I would be down for that. <laughs> All right. That's more motivation to do so. <laughs> yeah. No, you're you're the one that's a little fluid right now. You, you should live in the Bay Area. I'm just putting the pressure on you now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. So uh, here we got a guest today, Aiden. Who, who who'd we bring along? We're super lucky. We have uh, Misha, who's the founder of Paul, the most advanced API client uh, for Mac. And he's here to tell us about his journey. Exciting. Excellent. Let me bring him in here. Hey. Hello, guys. Yep. Welcome. Good to see you, Misha. Everyone. Welcome, Misha. So uh, where, are you, you at? where are you at right now? What, uh, what, what time of day is it? So it is Friday evening, 9 p.m. Uh, I am based out of Tallinn, Estonia. Uh, for those who don't really know where it is, it's a Nordic country just south of Finland. Uh, so Northeast Europe, it's a beautiful little country, very high tech. Uh, the density of tech startups per, I would say per square mile is really high. Uh, the government is super digitalized, so it's a great place to be and full of nature. So it's, uh, it's really a place for me. Excellent. Well, welcome to API Storytelling. Uh, happy to have you here. And so tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you do? Where you come from? Let's get uh, to know you. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, that may be too long, but I will try to, to summarize that <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, first of all, thank, thank you so much, guys, for, for having me. Uh, you. You are all very influential people in the API space, so it's uh, it's it's. I'm truly grateful for you to to have me having me today. Uh, so yeah, this is exciting for me as well. Um, so a bit about myself. So I grew up in. I'm born and raised in France. Uh, and then I studied uh, in college in France, and then I kind of traveled in in the different countries. And I, I I guess on the professional side of things, I always wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur one day or another but with oh at the same time i had always a passion for for computer and software development so probably won't go too too far on like how did how did the you know this, this, the software uh thing started but i my first computer was a macintosh se uh so i have to say looking back i was quite a lucky kid to have uh, such a machine at home. Uh, my, my dad was using that for work, but uh, yeah, back, back in the days, I just thought, you know, that's that's the computer we have. Uh, but like looking back, this is quite a quite an interesting machine. Uh, it still boots, uh, tested a few years ago. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny because I, uh, growing up, I actually switched, you know, to Windows. It was the, the cheapest machine I could get as a teenager, so it's like, it was the it was the thing and like hacking on Windows XP, trying to with PHP and HTML pages. So kind of it was like early 2000. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny because I moved back to the Mac years later. Uh, so it's kind of like 
connecting the dots the dots uh and um yeah definitely yeah i kind of full full circle but uh yeah i, I guess like everyone i i not everyone but like a, a lot of people at least of my generation born in the early 90s the easiest thing to hack with was web you, know, you would just you just start with like a html a bit of js and like when you when you realize the limitation then the only thing you gotta do is php and then uh, and, and then the funny thing is i'm i went to a super i would say super nerdy uh computer science school in france uh and nerdy both in the bad way and in a good way uh but I mean, I, I won't go into the why it was bad, uh, but the good thing is like we've done like tons of C, C++, like low level stuff. So super interesting. It was the first time in my life actually using a compiler. So when I brought up that, you know, all I knew was JS and PHP, that people were like kind of shocked um, <laughs> by that. <laughs> but that, that's at least where I, I learned like compiled languages and stuff like that. Um, and from that, I moved on to actually uh, developing uh, iOS apps. So I think back in the days, it was still like iPhone OS or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's actually the, 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 the first, the closest I got from actually being connected to the tech scene is I, I did a, a, a small internship in San Francisco that actually turned out to be much longer because I just enjoyed the company and just what I was learning there much more learning much more uh, out of this internship rather than, you know, in, in college. But anyways, that, that's where I started actually learning Apple technologies and was quite fascinating, fascinated by all you can do with native apps and the quality of the, the UI that you can get there. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I was, I, I was quite, um, quite in awe in front of like companies like Panic building like really High quality apps, like if you if you know some of them, they had Coda. Now it's Nova, uh, Transmit, which is an app I use really on a daily basis, and uh, I I love what they were doing. It was kind of my uh, role model, um, and uh, also I think it came a bit later. But Pixelmator or Sketch, like really apps that are native and really uh, finely um, finely crafted, I would say. So I wanted to to make an app like that one day or another, and. Uh, and in the in, in the middle, I like I started some side projects here and there. Nothing really succeeded, and I, I guess one day I, I I realized that if all the all the things I was trying to do was were products that I wouldn't really use myself, and I was like, okay, as a as a developer, like kind of you know, phone games, little apps. Uh, it was the early days of of iPhones. You know, everyone wanted to make an app, uh, and that was probably not the best the best the best mindset to have. Um, but yet, as a you know, a developer myself, quite full stack, uh, doing both the back end and the front end, I realized that it's you know it's hard to to debug what's happening in the middle. Uh, and here comes uh, you know starting to be more interested with uh, APIs by APIs. Like okay, it's uh, it's just not a mean of like connecting the back end of the and the and the and the, and the front end, but actually there is like so much more uh, into that. And connecting back to the to the to the interest in building native apps, uh, I was like, okay, that's actually an interesting challenge to go from the iPhone to the Mac and start building something there. And then I realized that the Mac is pretty backwards in many ways. Like you still use frameworks that were built for next step. Uh, so yeah. that was like 20 years ago. Now it's like 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, all the class names were, were prefixed NS for a long time. 
I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I, I almost, almost want to call that BS, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite old stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting. You know, like you build modern stuff and you still see the kind of all the legacy that is behind that. Yeah, it's so, like car carbon or coca, one of all those words. Carbon. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually worked with carbon, but I've seen the APIs still there. Well, now they are long depreciated and out of the system, but yeah, they were like for quite some time and, and Coco is still there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's how Pau came to life. Uh, like really needed, like being tired of, of uh, working on, on little projects that I actually don't really, wouldn't really use myself, I wouldn't be proud of. Uh, needing to actually debug APIs and at the same time having like some kind of fascination for, for native apps. So that's a bit of, uh, that's a bit of a mix of everything, uh, Kim. So I, yeah. I, 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 I love that almost the whole story is about, uh, going an extra step, like learning more. Oh, I, I have a machine that not everybody has. So I get to try these things out. I started building apps when it was really early. I mean, all these things that you're doing, it seems like you've just always had this sort of uh, curiosity, is it? Or or just some kind of interest to take things apart a little bit or, or, or build things a little bit differently. Is that something that, it, is, is that right that I'm kind of recognizing? Is that something you're recognizing yourself? And, and my next question would be, is that beyond tech? Like, are there other parts of your lives where you're, you're always kind of thinking about how does this part work and how do I how do I build one of these and so on and so forth. Oh, first of all, I would say, Mike, I think you are probably someone who has a lot more curiosity than I do. So, and I, <laughs> I think <it's, laughs> I think we all have a lot. We, we all here have like probably are like very curious about how things work, or otherwise, I, I don't know if we would be playing around APIs. So, but thank you for saying that. I, I take I take curiosity as a as a quality. So. Uh, so, so is, is, that, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for you to say that. Do you, do, you, do you notice that outside of the API space? I'm making your oh, everyday yeah. life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I, um, yeah, I, I sometimes think that, you know, I, at, at some point in my life, I will just completely move out of tech, uh, at least out of uh, IT in a way, like sure. maybe move to some, to some completely different field. There is just so much interesting things happening in the world. and. Uh, and I think we, at, at least for me, I'm considering myself extremely lucky. And I, th I think there are, there are ways to contribute and like be a force for, for good in the world. And uh, for sure, for sure, tech is one way, but there are like, just so many other ways. So. Yeah, I think I think it's also, uh, you, you, you talk about um, curiosity and kind of what, what drives. A lot of times I'm just not satisfied. I'm thinking like, I wonder if this could be better. I wonder if I wonder if this experience could be different. And that certainly goes well beyond uh, the challenge that I have is my curiosity far outstrips my ability. Mm. So I'm very curious about things that I don't know how they work or how or how to modify them. And sometimes I just I if I get up enough guts, I just start bashing around and it's not always pretty. But I definitely am driven by that kind of kind of uh, curious bent. So I, I think it's a pattern I see, especially in in a lot of founders, I think. I think I see this notion about this could be better, this could be different. Um, uh, this this isn't necessarily the way to do it. And I like that very much. I appreciate that. Dangerous <laughs> levels of curiosity that that So yeah, what, what, what are, can, I, can I ask you guys, what are you curious uh, about outside of tech? 
Oh man. I mean, I, for me, for me, I, um, I started in tech in the physical world. So I started playing around with electronics and physical, uh, right. and that, and then, and then I went to software. So the hardware is what sucked me in. Um, I'm curious a similar ways. I'm curious back the hardware again. So I, I have drones that I fly, um, which have computers and have cameras and have APIs in them. Um, and so I, but I wouldn't say I'm interested in like internet of things like most people, but I am interested in and curious how our physical worlds, you know, interact mm -hmm. and collide oftentimes with, with the digital world. And so cars. So I recently did a, an interview with Ford um, about their autonomous vehicles. And I don't, again, I, I have concerns good and bad, but I, I'm, i I'm just like, I'm so curious about well, what does that mean when you have a connected vehicle rolling down the street with connected streets and connected lights and connected signs and, and other connected cars and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hopelessly curious about that stuff, but then it, sometimes it freaks me out too as well. But I would say that back into the physical world is, but the internet is what I'm most curious about. Yeah, I go through, I go through phases. Um, a kind of a through line for for what kind of drives me. I've talked about about it here and other places. Is connections, making connections. How are things connected? How are things related? Um, how does it, how is it uh, that we seem to see connections? So I, I actually am very curious about how the brain works, how we perceive, how we communicate, and it's affected a lot of uh, things that I've done in my life. Before I spent a lot of time in IT, I was a full time musician. So a lot of that is the same things. How do we connect with each other? How do we communicate? How do we collaborate? How, do, how does the brain work? So I'm very, very interested in things that have to do with uh, perception and memory and creativity and the brain. And again, that's a great place where I am just totally insufficient. I'm an armchair kind of dilettante. I, like I read books on the brain and I read articles about memory and, and about uh, all these other things, ways that people interact. And I just, I just enjoy it so much. And I sometimes I wish I could kind of, you know, poke around, but I'm sure it wouldn't, it would come to no good. It would be bad. But that's that's an area that affects me a lot. And then it bleeds into the tech for me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, it's all about tools. Um, not because for any reason itself that a tool is cool, um, but because I like things that actually help people achieve whatever they're trying to solve. Um, so I actually started out, I, I was making apps too, and I remember all these old frameworks. Um, then I turned that into a mobile app development platform. So that was my first company, was we built one of the visual coders. And it was so cool to see like non-programmers building stuff to solve problems in their communities. Um, same kind of thing with Optic, like trying to help people um, build, work better together and build more complicated systems. Um, and then like off the clock, it's always like, how do I make myself better using technology and other people better? Because like, I feel like a lot of technology is built to distract us or to pull us in a direction. And how can you like leverage that to make yourself better? Um, so that's my other thing I care a lot about. And then group experiences. I'm really curious about like how things happen when groups people get together. So I do a lot of stand up, but it's not to be funny. It's because you can like pull a whole group into the same experience. And that's like a thing that we've been doing for thousands of years in different ways. And there's just some weird phase change that happens there. I, I don't fully understand it, but it's really cool to like cultivate it with any kind of community. So I like stand up for that reason. Nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah. 
So well, did you, you mentioned uh, uh, that uh, you went to college, when you went to university, did you go to university and like study in the computer program or, or the, you know, computer science program or did you start somewhere else? Yeah, so it's, actually, so it's actually a bit uh, weird in France, uh, I would say, because if you, if you want to go to any kind of good school, you have to study for two years math and physics. So mm -hmm. that was um, that that was both a blessing and a curse, I would say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you 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 learn a lot of rational thinking um, to 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 go to a program like that. At the end of the day, it was two years, a lot of like very intense two years. Was it worth it? How often do I use these things in my day-to-day -day life? Not that much. Um, and then from that point, I knew that. I, I wanted to go to computer science, mm -hmm. and it's all again, again a little bit strange. And I think it just shows how the classical uh, education system doesn't really fit anymore. Um, they basically, if, if 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 you want to go high, and like everyone in this in these universities want to aim for the like you know, the best college they can get into, like it's a bit comp competitive. And it's kind of weird. Like people just compare, you know, stuff like. How college ranks? Uh, what's the average uh, average income at the at you know out of college? And like this kind of like I would say a bit pointless uh, pointless metrics they just look at and they kind of like want to go always to the top. And um, and yeah, none of these schools actually had a decent computer science program. They would have or that would just be on the margin of everything else. You know, you just do ton of mechanics, physics, engineering, and then you know a little right. bit of computer science and I was like no that's is that really what I want to do now so um, so yeah so I went for that like nerdy school that I mentioned uh, that and like everyone was like what was kind of thinking that I'm crazy to just lose on all these amazing opportunities to go like much better uh, colleges when uh, that, that that actually could get into oh, but I see you you ended up picking a school that was very techie or the kind of tech you wanted yeah. rather than something that was like one of the pinnacle. And, I get it. I get yeah. it. I see. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's probably partially due to the fact that um, um, I, I just don't think the, the at, at least in France, the, the, like the best schools have the best computer science programs. Whereas I think in the US, like some, uh, if you look at MIT, Berkeley, Stanford, they, they do have stuff like that. So if, if you yeah. if you can get into that, then lucky for you, then you probably have the best education. Um, but it's not really the case, at least back in the days. Uh, now there are like uh, interesting ones, but they are still not like seen as uh, the like the best ranked ones. But they are pretty good. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting how sometimes like signaling and substance diverge. I don't know if that's accelerating in the world or not. It's probably different in different industries, but I feel like that's something I see a lot now and I am aware of. Well, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Misha. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think in a way it's the, it, it can be the world just challenging you to make sure that you know what you want to do. Uh, you know, when like, like you try, you, you are being pulled a little bit in one direction and then uh, you need to stay true to, to yourself and what you, what you want to do. And like, it's, uh it's it, it's funny it's still I, st I still have this feeling some sometimes these days like you if you if, 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 if you want to do great things and like have live a live a happy life you you gotta have the like sometimes the courage to 
to to do what you think is good for for yourself what is true so it's uh, i guess that was just one example i'm, I'm rambling sorry that's <laughs> what this show is for yeah for rambling great <laughs> i'm i can i can do that <laughs> so, so i know you you uh you deal a lot in API definitions. And we've been, you know, uh, several layers of this show weaves back into API specifications. And we've had some swagger talks, some open API. We've had conversations with uh, uh, Aiden and, and Dev last week about layers on top of it. I'm curious to, to hear your view of the landscape because because Rapid API, I know, has, you know, the, the heart, the heart of Rapid API is very API definition driven. And so, and, and you've clearly, you know, got experience. So with, with like, you know, API Blueprint, Swagger, all these, what's your view of, of the API specifications landscape? Because I know, you know, I know Mike's opinions and views from his hypermedia background and his kind of rooted in the web. I know Aiden, Aiden hates open API with a passion. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, uh, it, I Aiden, love the future of it more than I like the present of it. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Actually, I'm going to use that a lot. I really That's like that. That's good. That's good. How, how do you view the, the landscape of API specifications and how they're this used is, or why they matter? It, it, it's a good question. I, I think from, from my perspective, uh, working on an API client uh, such as Pow, I, I don't think I have to go too deep into the API specification. However, uh, I think I can share that we are we are working on, uh, I would say, a version of Pow that's it's going to be a lot a lot more closely aligned with OpenAPI. So it's definitely something somewhere I'm going gonna um, I'm gonna go. Um, so I, I I don't know if I had the frustrations with OpenAPI that many many people had like like you Aidan, where you are kind of confronted with like this limitation or this limitation, you are just not happy about this choice or that one. So I, 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 from my perspective, I don't think I had these um, these moments. I had them with Ramel, like, like trying to integrate Ramel, it was a lot more uh, uh, more of a headache. But uh, I, I will say that I, the fact that we are moving into one standard, API Blueprint and Ramel kind of losing traction and everything seems to converge into open API. Uh, I think that's definitely great. At least we have, I, I believe it's better to have one standard rather than three and you don't really know, uh, you know where things go. So I, I like that from the perspective of rapid API. This is absolutely great because then we can have one single source of truth, uh, everything being op aligned with open API and we don't, we definitely don't want to reinvent the wheel, kind of creating our own, own internal format. We've done that in the past and realized that it's like it just makes so much sense to to have to, to follow like an open standard that everyone uh, agrees on or at least agrees on the future of. So at least we can like kind of uh, follow that path. I have to say personally, I had something for API Blueprint. The fact that it was Markdown based, beautifully uh, like written, uh, you could just understand it. Uh, it was basically built for humans, and yet like. Yeah. Uh, readable by machines. So that I really liked. Uh, I guess it was just, I mean, the fact that you needed a C-based parser to just like parse it, it was maybe a little bit uh, overkill for, I think they came up with the JavaScript version at some point, but 
Yeah, I think I think the the thing that frustrated me. I love Blueprint quite a bit, and I still use it as my kind of sketching language. If I really just want to throw something together really quick, just writing some markdown is is super super fast. F5, I have a mock, and I love it. The thing that really annoys me is I'm I find myself half the time counting spaces. Like I did, oh, did I indent this right? Oh, if it's a group, then I have to indent it differently than if it's a single get. There were just like all these little sort of like niddling little pieces. A good a good editor would have fixed that, but you know, like a good tool would have yeah. would have helped me fix that. But I really enjoy uh, Markdown because of what you just said. It's very conversational. It's like the yeah. uh, the REPL in my head. I don't have to do a lot of translation. It's pretty easy for me for me to see right there. But of course, that's because I think in HTTP, right? Because that's really what you're doing, right? You're mm -hmm. writing HTTP and Markdown is what it really amounts to. That's right. Um, so so I I enjoyed that very much too, and I I, I kind of miss it. I I, I had kind of hoped that it would usher in, if not just uh, if and not just Blueprint, other sort of Markdown-ish versions of ways to sketch out uh, uh, services in a meaningful way. And uh, it just it just hasn't happened. So, I mean, there are lots of avenues that just don't come to fruition. Maybe it'll come back at some time. But I like uh, I like Markdown a lot. Yeah. I thought I thought the part of Blueprint um, that was sort of most compatible with the way I think about APIs was that you could specify things like partially. Like you could go do like multiple passes yeah. on it. You just leave your bullet yeah. points in the fields and then say what it was later. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like OpenAPI sort of rushes you to judgment because you can't leave it empty. Um, so that was another part of Blueprint I just loved, and I would love that feature to be back. You know that, in fact, that that's a really good point, Aiden. When I when I teach people how to do a, a pattern, I use sketch prototype build, which is like just come up with a simple sketch and see if it makes sense, then prototype it in detail, sort of you know, like create that that uh, test track car, you know, that you're going to really kind of beat up before you build. That's why I really like using uh, Blueprint because of what you just said. We can cover that later. Just leave it here. Let's go on to the next step. And that that uh, open API does sort of force you to fill out a lot of detail before you get a running version of that story. So I think it's a really good observation. Do, do you guys edit your open API specs by hand or do you use uh, <laughs> a tool? I do. I do. I, I do typically. I I will. I might generate something as like a series of stubs, but then I do a lot of hand hand editing. I don't know about the rest of you guys. Yeah, I I do a lot of hand editing, but I have a lot of auto generation scraping tools that'll generate it, and uh, so. But I really I do like working with it. And API Blueprint was my favorite back in the day too. And I I keep feeling like I'm the old weirdo in this space about the specs, but like. I, you know, I brought them all together, like, I, I, and I, I so I, my life's kind of like an XKCD comic in this way that, you know, <laughs> that I really believe, like, Jacob and Z's vision, um, they started APR. I really believed in their vision and their, and their design vision. I liked where they went with it. And, but at the time, you know, uh, Augusto had his vision for Mushape, which became Rapid API. And yeah. then, Mashery had IO docs and Tony had Swagger and uh, MuleSoft was very interested in this. And they asked, they paid me, asked me to bring everyone together, all the specs together to harmonize them. And this is kind of why, you know, your, your calls for action, Aiden, echo in my ear. And, and I did, I brought them all to a summit 
and to have this discussion about, you know, how do you harmonize? How should they all work together? How should the tooling work and, and all of this? And then a, a month later, Ramel came out and they didn't, MuleSoft didn't tell me they did this. So it was like, how do we, you know, it's that XKCD comic about it. And, and, and Tony, Jacob were both pissed at me for a year. Like they wouldn't talk to me for about a year, year and a half because uh, they thought I was like stealing their intellectual property on it. And I was like, no, no, I, I want I want this all to work together. And so it was, it was one of those in the space that, that caused a lot of issues, but I'm not sure why API blueprint failed. I still can't figure that out. Like why the best product doesn't win in that, in that situation. Oh, if, if, if I may try to guess on that, I think it's just because with, with Rammel or, or Swagger, I mean, most developers use JavaScript, JSON parse, whatever yeah. you have, it works. You can do everything you want. With API Blueprint, you needed to import tons of stuff. And would it work in the browser? Would it work in Node? Would it work? Uh, what if I want to do that in Python? Would I want to do that in, in, in Ruby? It's, it's, I think it was just too hard to parse. So it's a tooling, lack of tooling. I, I would say Open API Swagger had a, a, a rush of tooling that would help you, enable you. And, and it solved the greatest pain point. Swagger UI just nailed the pain point for people when it yeah. comes documentation so yeah and i think misha you're also saying that it's a um that uh it's a lower it's barrier of entry issue right yeah. so it's a higher barrier of entry issue for for this hard you got a markdown process and then you've got to you got to turn that into an ast you got to do all these other things whereas with something like like uh, uh open api it was much more direct here's the yeah. url here's the body here's the object here's the methods go right I think OpenAPI open was 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 quite genius. Um, in the fact that you have that, you have an AST, you have the parsing, you have the like. It's like a real language on its own. But it's I think it was just like a bit overkill. I love it, but I think it was overkill for getting mass adoption, um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. so I know you you mentioned that you're looking to add some of these specification um, features. I don't know how much you can talk about, but. How do you see it broadly fitting into the story of uh, HTTP clients going forward and in, in development workflows? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I can definitely share a bit of that. Uh, so essentially, it, it's been a, a, quite a challenge that I, I, I had uh, with, with Power for quite some time. As if, if you think about API clients like uh, Power Postman or Insomnia, these are tools where you send requests, right? Uh, you create your request, you send them. These are not tools where you describe requests. Uh, on the other hand, describing a request would be what Swagger, uh, Swagger UI does in a way, Swagger Hub um, or Stoplight, they, they, they do that. They describe the request. Um, and uh, the, the, way, the way I see that is on the endpoints as you have, the endpoints that you described are abstract. They are like classes. And the requests are the instance of these classes. So it's, it's uh, I think that the challenge that we are having today is we, we wouldn't want to create two different tools where on one side you edit the request and on the other side you edit the, kind of the, the, the backbone of these requests, the, you know, the, blueprint, the blueprint of these requests. Uh, by the way, that's, I think, that's why I think the name API Blueprint is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and 
ideally we would try to combine uh, the, the the two in a tool that actually works well but uh but yeah definitely i think what uh stoplight is doing is very interesting uh being able to actually edit the full um the full api spec so it's definitely a, a direction that we will be going going towards um being able to support editing because that, that's something rapid api already has uh being able to edit a spec to publish it to the rapid api hub um by the way we uh can definitely shout out when on that yesterday the Rapid API Marketplace, uh, we are renaming it to the hub. Um, and the reason is a marketplace felt like way too much selling APIs, whereas a lot of the APIs right there are free, um, free public, publicly available APIs. And also more and more people just use the, the hub to share APIs one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I, I want to send you an API, Dan, or I want to share, share it with my the team, the, the, the four of us. Um, would you want to share that on the marketplace? That's a bit weird, you know, it's not, it's on Amazon, you are not selling anything. Uh, but do you want to share it on the hub? Definitely makes a lot more sense. And it's about connections. So, it's about connections and, and people yeah. working together. And I would yeah. say, I would also know y'all joined the open API. I helped onboard you to the open API recently too. So I think that's a pretty yeah. significant move in the right direction as well. Yeah, definitely. It's um, so it's uh, I, th I think it's a great idea. Uh, Ahmad from our team, our DevRel head of DevRel, um, is uh, has been leading that, and I think it's 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 amazing. I, I would have, to be honest, I would have done that a while ago. It's just a matter of having the bandwidth to actually uh, to actually work on that and being uh, being actually focused. So I'm I'm glad that we have Ahmad. I tried to follow some of the calls, but like it's um, it's yeah. hard. To Work, but you, it's, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Misha, you mentioned something that kind of caught me, and I just want to make sure I kind of circle back on it. There, there's this. I, I, as I was listening to you, I was hearing a kind of there's a there's a sort of a different perspective from those who are crafting requests to send and describing the requests uh, to receive. Right. Basically, I'm going to describe this request so that you can send it to me. That's sort of the server side world. And then there's the uh, API uh, uh, client world, or the you'd say API consumer world. Um, so, yeah. are we are we sort of missing a, a key element here? And that is that those are different viewpoints that need their own tooling, need their own specifications, need their own uh, worlds. Uh, there's nothing wrong with connecting them, but is is it? Is it really a good idea to say one ring rules them all, both for consumers and producers? Do we need a different set for for consumers than, than the rest? I, I think there are actually a little bit three different ways to, to see that, I would even say. If the the kind of the API client side of things that uh, you know Power Postman Insomnia do um, is more of a sandbox, I would say you have total freedom you can send any request and that's why in a way that's more like these tools are more like http clients rather than mm -hmm. api tools but they are of course so useful for apis right uh, but in a way they are sandbox you can you have full freedom you want to add a header go ahead uh, no one restricts yeah. you on the other side uh, the kind of api specification tools that's very strict you defined um, you define exactly the constraints that you have, the parameters, the, the yeah, the constraints, the schemas, um, 
and it's very abstract. The other one is like on the opposite side of the spectrum. It's very concrete and you have freedom. Um, so I, I think these are the two things. And the, and the last one is actually more on the consumer side. If you look at APIs on the Rapid API Hub or uh, if you discover an API on Swagger UI, what you will see is that you can edit the values of the parameters, but you cannot edit the parameters themselves. So in right. a way, I see these tools are as the, the instantiation of the class, uh, if yeah. that makes sense. Uh, the no, API, yeah. API spec is the class, then when you want to actually send a request, you instantiate that class, and that becomes an actual request that you can send. I really, I really love that idea. I, I love uh, that you've got this notion of abstract class and instance, right? Uh, when I was working with uh, some of the people from the API Academy team, we were working on continuous API management. We really struck on the fact that all the time mm -hmm. we're dealing with exactly what you're talking about, the abstract, the instance, and then the actual running uh, 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 instance too. You might have seven or eight servers that are actually running a particular instance of a class. So I love that, that that's introduced in there. And you know, as as you mentioned it, the sort of the different rules for uh, API uh, client applications versus API servers. The service really does need to con you know constrain things quite a bit. This is what I'm prepared for. This is what mm -hmm. I can do. This if you you know I promise you this contract. Mm -hmm. But it's the client applications are much more like, make sure you want a header, I'll do a header. You want to do you know you want to do this, you want to do that. I I I really recognize now that they have different sets of rules about them um, that I've been playing more in the well, in the client space for the last couple of months with this little sort of like REPL tool, sort of a stateful command line client application. And I experienced some of the same things you're just mentioning, which is, sure, I'll throw a header in. What do I care, right? They try just trying to make all of those kinds of things easy. So rather than creating some kind of construction that you have to kind of navigate through, it's more like you say, a sandbox or a or a test case, or a, or, a, or a workbench, right? Is really kind of what it is, right? Yeah, that's very De definitely. But yet, as the to, to go back to what you were asking before, uh, you you asked me what is the connection? Then this seems to be like two different worlds, and how do yeah. we actually connect both? And at least from the perspective of the API creator, when you I think there are two two different approaches of starting an API. You either start with design first. You want to start with a high-level uh, concept to draft your API spec. That's, that goes back to what we were saying earlier. You enjoy using API Blueprint to kind of draft how the API will look like. And that's the, the design approach, right? Yeah. And I think here, like drafting your own spec with Open API or using a tool like Stoplight, I think that makes sense. But on the other side of the spectrum, if you are more like uh, hands-on and you start writing your server, and uh, what you want to do is basically send API calls towards the server to, to basically your local host server to see how it behaves, kind of debug, see how it's like kind of experimenting, it's kind of, kind of trial and error that you have here. And I, I just wonder if there is a nice way to combine these two worlds uh, because teams, I, I guess like teams like being very, um, uh, very planning ahead, they would start on the design approach. I would say yeah. that if you're a developer alone hacking in your garage, you definitely will start like implementing stuff yourself. But yet, I think we need both, right? If yeah. Even if you do something quick and dirty at first, at some point you will yeah. want to formalize the spec. And I think we will actually, having allowing that, we're gonna uh, um, 
very much help the adoption of API specs instead of having a lot of the APIs that are not documented at all, just left kind of in, in, in the wild, can be internal or public. Uh, but if we make this process easy, you have the requests already, right? Is it that hard to start letting you write uh, proper specs around that and kind of educate you on how to do that at, in, at the same, same time? I believe there is a way to do that. And on the other side, if you start with the spec, well, one at one time or another, you're gonna want to send requests to test what you have, right? So you also need this this flow. So, um, so yeah, I I do think there is a there is a point where we can uh, meet yeah. in these two different approaches. Working on optic and, and listening to a bunch of different teams talk about this, one of the interesting sort of anti bike shedding maneuvers we discovered. I think everyone needs to have some good to get through the world um, was people who really want to design their code first and it was hard to like talk to either one of those points exclusively so we would just say we make sure every API change is documented reviewed and approved by your team and that's I think what people actually care about in its essence is making sure that when things do change that they know about it and acknowledge it and I think there's a really compatible way with tools uh, like like Paul and what postman is doing with open API validation like on the requests as they come through, what Optic is doing, what other people are going to do in the space to like merge these two things together. Because I think most teams are, like you said, like they do both. Like people are designed first the first time, and then like when they're changing that one field, they don't like go through the whole process. They just change the field. So yeah. uh, we need something that works for both people, I think, and both sort of ways of working. And being upfront with the design doesn't always scale once you have the thing operating. Yep. Absolutely, and I think you guys at Optic have an like an amazing product for 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 that specific use case. You know, you have uh, if if I understand correctly, you just like proxy requests, right? And then you can you start you help people start building specs out of that. And I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful idea. Um, but I, from uh, from our perspective at Rapid API, we have I think everything to win to actually have the right tool for that. And the reason is we 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 have the, the building side of the API with Pow. And we have a huge API marketplace, both public and for um, as a hub for enterprises. And if, if we don't manage to connect both, then it's going to be very fragmented, right? What our goal is to help people build APIs and share them with everyone and be that hub, right? So that that's that's why I think there is uh, there there is a lot going on in that um, in that war between uh, between design uh, and uh, well, code. Yeah, you know, and here's here's the thing that that is eating. It's been eating at me for quite a while, and that is, and I hadn't quite just heard it expressed as succinctly as I think, uh, Misha, you have. And that is this idea that uh, there are cases where you need to be really well constrained, and there are cases where you need to have the freedom to experiment to try a few things. And Rapid API is sort of at the center of that space, right? Because it turns out Rapid API is presenting APIs for others to use, but you're also consuming all the APIs, right? So you're doing both of those. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if we don't really, even if we need to, to think differently about even the way the hub behaves, because you need a set of, you need a level of freedom in the hub that allows things to not, to not be so brittle, not be so constrained, so that minor changes to, to use, you know, Aiden's version of it is like, Everything is documented and communicated properly. You're right at the heart of all of that. You're, you're working in a business where the change from some party that you've never met could affect a whole bunch of other people that you've never met. You're, you're in this middle ground 
of making promises to a lot of people, change can really uh, uh, have, have a big problem for you, right? De definitely. I think it goes back to that uh, kind of programming uh, um, concept that, you know, you, sh you should be um, very strict about what you send, but very uh, tolerant. I forgot the exact words, but very tolerant about what you receive. And I think it's a little bit the same here. Um, when, when you are on the API client side of things, you, you should be free to send whatever you, you want. But if you are on the, on the server side of things, you want to be extremely strict about the contract that you have with your, uh, with your API consumers. And, and being an, an API hub with so many APIs and wanting actually to help companies share more APIs internally as well, we need to make sure that the APIs we have there are clean and respect the contract that they that they that they have, right? Uh, and yet, you know, unfortunately, developers can be a bit lazy. Uh, I think we <laughs> all are. Uh, and if we don't make it easy for people to create these API specs based on whatever they have currently, um, and that can be just API traffic, uh, the way you do uh, Aiden or Adoptic uh, or uh, API client content that we have at uh, at at Power. It's uh, I, I think we need that, and it's. And it's actually funny to see um, sometimes the screenshots that people share from Pow. They have their entire API uh, ready to go there, and I, I know I, I I can't be that surprised because that's what I have for the for our own internal APIs. I have a full Pow file with absolutely everything there, uh, and it's kind of my documentation. Now, is it a clean open API spec that I could be proud to share? No. <laughs> Um, no, and yep. did we, since it's an API we use only internally, did we actually have any incentive to spend the time to draft a clean API spec? Not really either, you know, things move fast, we move fast as a company, do we have time to do that? Not really. So I think that's where there is a, 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 a big challenge. Well, and so I think, you, you know, you touched on the, the, the client server, producer, consumer, like this, this this divide that's existed for a while. And I would say what I always liked about Mashape, which became Rapid API, and is is the old guard API management, the three scales, the masteries, the apogees, heavily invested in 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 the server side of the of this coin. Mm -hmm. And you can see that reflected in Gartner right now. You know, if you go if you take the Gartner Magic Quadrant, they're like if you ever been through the, the Gartner Magic Quadrant Hill, there's like uh, uh, 180 questions that are about that are server focused, and then there's like two like what do you do on the, what do you do on the client side, you know, and and then one like do you use Open API, and that's it, that's all they talk about, and so they've heavily invested in this is where the the values at this is where you know it's kind of like the the next iteration of the the old school database power center, the gateway or the the management layer. Mm -hmm. But what Rapid API has, as you mentioned, is 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 the marketplace, which was kind of born out of that rhetoric of of monetization of APIs. But the hub is a, is a, is a direction, you know, calling it a hub is a, is a move in, in in a healthier direction. But with that nod, that hey, this isn't just about the server side. This is about the consumer. This isn't just the producer side. And I would say another place you can see this unfolding and evolving is. Um, Fran uh, from Async API is doing these series right now called Thinking Out Loud, where they're processing the notion of client server in a event-driven world 
you know, web sockets and they're trying to understand like what, what is a publisher or a consumer? And, and, and it's, it's very different than a, a, a request response world. And so I think, yeah. I think we're moving into a world where all this has to kind of come together and you have, you know, the best API producers in my books are, are people who are also API consumers and because they understand the pain of having being dependent on someone's API. And so that's what I hear you describing is those worlds kind of, you know, coming together and, and you real and into this kind of, I don't know what the next, the future is going to hold, but I, I hope it's a healthier world than we've had um, in the past. So I like it. I like your vision. Yeah, de definitely. Thanks for bringing up async APIs. I think it's, it's also, these are shifts uh, that I think we don't, we, we are still don't have a lot of clarity on. Uh, it's, it's super interesting, as you said, who, who is the consumer, who is the producer, right, in, in an API like that. And, in, and I think a lot of the conversation that we had today, I think we all had REST APIs in the back of our minds, right? We were thinking, we were, we were thinking as REST. Um, and I think even if you go to as close as GraphQL, it's already a little bit different. Do you, would you think about having a GraphQL client where you have absolute freedom to send anything? Doesn't really make sense, right? Would you send start start sending GraphQL variables when you don't even have the variables in your query? That mm -hmm. I, you could create a tool that does that. Who will use these features? Not, not, not really, right? It's, it doesn't doesn't really make sense. So there are already already so much so many more constraints on the way you the way you do things. And in a way, you have already the the description uh, of so to to go back to the to the class and instance thing. You already have a GraphQL query is already the the uh, the, the class, and you just mm -hmm. pass. The variables yep. of that class and it's already yep. instantiated you don't have to yep. do anything else. Yep. so in yep. a way it's, it's already a lot uh a lot simpler to that yep. sense. yeah i think i think uh you also have to add one one more node to your model there all the different consumers and their usage patterns um and you can have different like you can have different fields in a rest api or in a websocket api or in a graphql api and if someone's not using one of those fields it's fine to delete it but right now that kind of information doesn't really make it all the way back to the provider, which I think is a really interesting thing that like GraphQL makes explicit in a way where you could actually look and say, oh, it's safe to delete this because it's nowhere in my last 100 days of traffic that anyone asked for this. Um, but I feel like with, with REST, like you're almost always overfetching, even if you don't realize it. Um, mm. And the producer loses information there too. So yeah, I, I break this down and I always just think of it as relationships. Like whatever the protocol is, like it's a relationship between two things and we want to make sure that we don't mess with the other people. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Don't want but, to mess uh, with the other people. I like that. <laughs> Put on a t-shirt. Sometimes. That's really, yeah. That's that's the. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I like messing with people sometimes. <laughs> we 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 were talking in an API context. <laughs> Maybe. APIs are just there's always some people behind those APIs. So. Always, 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 <laughs> always. That's true. Yeah. So, so I have one. I have one more question for you. Um, and this is this is more my own founder curiosity. When you started off with um, Paul, did you expect it to be a business, or were you really just building a tool for yourself? Uh, very good question. I think a bit in the middle. Uh, I was not expecting to build a company out of it. Um, I was hoping to 
kind of be an indie developer and just work uh, just work on it myself. So I th I think that's and 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 already that was a was a bit beyond my expectations. I was like you know if um, if I can just make an app that works uh, that's gonna be my pleasure to work on it. And uh, but definitely I wanted to make a, a an app that I already monetize. And that was both because I felt like if I do if I actually focus on building something great, it felt uh, normal then that I would just don't wouldn't work for free and that. You know, if people like it, they would actually pay for it. Um, and I also wanted to to check that it's uh, it's actually viable. If people pay for it, it's a it's a good metric that the, the product actually has some value for for users. Uh, and that was a bit of a of, of a bet, I would say, because it's uh, it has been always a paid app. Sure, there's a trial trial version, but it's. Uh, among the API clients that that uh, that are the, I would say the, the most uh, used like Postman, Insomnia, even uh, Hopscotch today, um, it's the only one that was always paid. And I think in a way that only that 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 proved that people some people see see value in it, and it's great to have paid customers. And definitely that helped me uh, live with live live out of it for for a few years and actually scale a little bit the business, bootstrap it. Um, However, I think in terms of, of number of users, it's definitely uh, slowed down the adoption. So it's kind of the kind of the drawback. So it was, I would say, it's a bit of an unpopular route to create an app that is uh, paid from from day one. Do you think there was anything you were able to do inside of Paul earlier than other tools could because you charged up front? Like any anything that we got as Paul users that might not have happened if it was free? Um, I think definitely because the 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 what actually changed a lot of the business is the introduction of Power Cloud, which is or Power for Teams, which is the, the synchronization backend that helped teams work together, and that both switched to a subscription service and also helped people work together. Whereas before it was like more individually, you just buy a license for yourself. It also shifted the the pricing model to the companies. You know, if you buy an app for yourself, a lot of developers will just pay it out of pocket. If it's a thing for the team, you of course would put a company card on it. So uh, I changed the paradigm a little bit, and definitely business-wise, that changed things a lot. But early on, uh, that didn't exist, and it was an app that was only paid. So I think it allowed uh, me to have revenue very early on, keep working on it myself, uh, and start building a small team. So uh, definitely, I think I wouldn't have been uh, able to continue working on the app full time if that was not paid at the beginning. Did you uh, achieve the outcomes you wanted with Paul? Do you, do you feel like today, uh, like think back in your earlier mind, did you, did you do oh, what you wanted? No, I was, I was very lucky. I think I, I got a lot more than uh, both, both on, on every way, a lot more than I would have expected. For me, to, back in the days, it was more like a personal challenge. I was like, I want to learn something new. I'm going to make this up and we'll just, just see what, uh, what, what the, world brings to me, but I didn't have a lot of, um, of ambitions at the, the beginning, which is a little bit weird because I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And weirdly, when I started this app, I didn't really have that entrepreneur mindset. So it's, like, it's a bit the irony. I guess. Maybe that's why you were, able, you were so yeah. successful. As you... Yeah, I was going to say, it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can get it, we can often get in our own way with that entrepreneurial spirit. I've done it many times. Yeah. So that's, that's also true.
Sorry, I'm not crazy. There's a fruit fly in front of my face. I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, welcome. Um, I mean, I'm I'm really stoked to have you here. This has been a great yeah. session. Um, yeah. I really like you coming in, Sharon. Uh, I would love to get you back at some time to kind of talk about. You know, I think the 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 perspective, the hub, and the and the change in perspective. I think that really reflects. Uh, where, you know, the interesting shifts I see going on in the space right now. And one of the things I would like to get better, I know, I know Aiden wants this is, is that we get a little more structured sometimes, you know, in, in our line of questioning and who we have, because we've been just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, but I would love to get more folks like maybe, you know, Fran from Async and other folks who are seeing kind of, you know, this, this paradigm shift, maybe, you know, um, Mark O'Neill from Gartner that, you know, I don't know if he's allowed to talk on things like this, but it'd be interesting. I would love to explore that a little bit more and see where we could go, but we'll see. We'll see if we can pull it that's, together. That's, that's great. I love the, the, the storytelling aspect of your, uh, of your podcast guys. Not, not that I, uh, that I enjoy sharing my story itself, but I, I think it's always nice to, to hear, uh, to hear stories. I'm definitely gonna be listening to, to it more actively from now. Well, thank cool. you. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your uh, well evening, woohoo! Friday oh. night, you know. Um, but uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. It was uh, it was a great conversation, and uh, yeah, good good to be here. Good to see that uh, yep. this 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 these things are happening. Thanks right. again. Good yep. to have you. Go on. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Thank you for that, Aiden. Of course, yeah. that was a lot of fun. We should yeah. we should definitely have more more people in uh, that can talk about their their stories building these tools. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good idea. I love that idea. Well, and and like I said, with the topics, you know, I really kind of want to get better at mining the topics. That's kind of what I'm doing with the breaking changes, is spending time rewatching episodes, and and I have transcripts of episodes, so maybe I'll do that for uh, our previous ones and connect the dots a little bit more as we move forward and go hey let's explore that one piece or let's evolve this who could we have here to, to talk to that you know so we'll see we'll see what i can dig up cool i know whatever path we go we will find something interesting and useful so i'm all for exploring it all with you guys we, we, yeah i agree i can't yep. think of anybody else who uh better to do it with so anyways um i'm gonna let you go first mike and uh, enjoy your weekend. You too, gentlemen. I'll see you next week. All right. See you then. See you, Mike. Well, I'm sorry we didn't get to have lunch in person this week, but you know, I do dare you, dare you to move here, move to the Bay Area, and and. Hey, uh, that's that's one of the benefits. I could very well see myself doing it. Great. Well, um, always always good to see you, my friend. Appreciate you being here. Cool. Good to see you, Ken. Have a good rest of your weekend. All right. We'll see you online. See you next week. All right, another one for the books. That was fun. All right, y'all enjoy the weekend, and we'll uh, see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>